Welcome to the Read, Talk, Grow podcast, a podcast inspired by my conversations with my own patients about what they are reading. On Read, Talk, Grow, we discuss women's health by talking about books, especially fiction, memoir, and creative nonfiction that portray or explore health topics. We use reading to better understand how it is to live with or navigate these conditions. In the same way that books can transport us to a different historical time or into a less familiar culture, they can draw readers into various health experiences. On the show, we connect authors and experts to talk about women's health issues, including those often considered intimate or hard to discuss. I'm Dr. Denise Milstein. I'm an assistant professor of medicine at Mayo Clinic, where I practice women's health internal medicine and direct the section of integrative medicine and health in Arizona. I'm the host of Read, Talk, Grow, and the medical director for the women's health blog through Mayo Clinic Press. I am always reading and love discussing books, so let's get started. Today, we'll be talking about friendship. Listeners might think friendship is not exactly a health issue, but I am going to argue otherwise. In fact, in an academic publication by the evolutionary psychologist, Dr. Robin Dunbar, he states, there is now extensive evidence that having friends protects you against both mental and physical illness, helps you recover quicker when you fall sick or have surgery and makes you feel happier and more contented with life. It's possible that many of you have rarely paused to consider, really, really consider friendship, which is why we are here today. Our book is The Life Council, 10 Friends Every Woman Needs by Laura Tremaine, released in 2023 by Zondervan. Laura Tremaine is a writer, speaker, podcaster, and influencer who launched the 10 Things to Tell You podcast in 2019 a show born out from her realization that sharing herself online and in person pulled her out of a long season of loneliness. From there, her first book was born, Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First, 10 Questions to Take Your Friendships to the Next Level in 2021. Laura lives in LA with her husband, Jeff, and their two children. She's passionate about 20-minute reading timers, bold lipstick, Stephen King, and chicken wings. Her second book is The Life Council, which we'll be talking about today. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about friendship with you today. We are excited too. Our second guest is Dr. Judith Engelman, who is a board-certified psychiatrist in practice in the Phoenix Scottsdale area for the last 40 years. She has vast experience in running therapy and support groups and was a collaborator in the Authentic Connection Study, a research study with the Mayo Clinic Department of Psychiatry and the Arizona State University Department of Psychology, where she and I crossed paths for the first time. Blending her interests in individual group and family therapy, psychopharmacology, yoga, and spirituality, Dr. Engelman has always advocated for an integrative approach to healing. Judy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Denise. It's great to see you. It's great to be back, and it is very exciting to meet Laura, having read this wonderful book. 
Laura, I, I can't wait to talk about how much this book made me think. Even before I read it, just the concept of it, I saw you talk about in an interview on What Should I Read Next or Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club. And I was talking to my friends about the concept. It led to some really curious conversations. And I'm sure as you've been promoting the book and the book has finally released, you've had some curious conversations. What's been most surprising in that feedback? Well, most surprising for me has been that people are reading the title and the subtitle and like get very nervous about the book. 10 Friends Every Woman Needs puts a lot of people back on their heels and they think, I don't have 10 friends. I've never had 10 friends. That has been something that I didn't think all the way through that it would like bring up like a scarcity mindset and make people feel bad about themselves when I really want the book to make people see the abundance of people in their life and how much we are bringing to one another's lives. And we can elevate all of our friendships, not just like our lifelong ones or our very deep ones. And can I also just say that we're all here together and I'm so glad to be speaking with actual experts because I did not write this book from a place of academic research or anything like that. This book is fully about lived experience and all of these conversations I've had on my podcast and online over the years about friendship. And so speaking with both of you today here with like actual credentials behind your names, it's a joy. So thank you for inviting me to be among you. We are so glad you're here because the work that you're doing is so important. And I think that's really, a, don't judge a book by its title or its cover, right? Because you make that point that these are the 10 seats at your life council, which can challenge your readers to think about similar seats or what their life council looks like. And I think it's possible for a friend to hold both roles. Your daily duty friend could also be your business bestie. Maybe, maybe not. But Judy, what was so surprising to you about the book? Well, the whole thing was surprising because I, first of all, I thought your anecdotes, your stories were so great. But one of the things I loved the most was you start out with these five friendship philosophies. I loved friendship is a to-do. And I have always said that love is a verb. Yes. Yes. Believe the best in your friend. And that has a lot to do to me with the brain has a tendency to go to the negative in any situation. We're so self-critical and we do a lot of thinking about what somebody else is thinking or what their motives are. So we have a choice about thinking mm -hmm. the best in people when they don't show up, when they cancel plans, just go. I love that. Number three, just go, just do it. Number four, like every selfie. I mean, that was really cute because somebody has a reason they're taking a selfie. You might think it's stupid or you don't want to even have to put a heart by it or a thumbs up, but they did it. And it's an acknowledgement that they matter to you, that you'll take yeah. the time to do that. And again, love is an action. But the best one I loved was your spouse is not your best friend. That was the best thing in the whole book, in my opinion. Um, well, thank you for saying that because people really react to that friendship philosophy that your partner is not your best friend. People immediately 
kind of raise their eyebrows, right? That I'm saying that out loud because I'm in a marriage of 17 years. I speak very highly of my husband. I love him very much. And I think people immediately jump to this conclusion that like our marriage is in trouble, that I don't call him my best friend because it has become this modern concept. This is a modern concept, as I'm sure you know, that your spouse would be your best friend. That's considered like so romantic now. That is not the history of marriage at all. And I think that it puts these relationships, it puts a lot of pressure on them, a lot of strain on them. And then we end up disappointed when one person, especially the person that we share a bathroom with and children with and all of these things, can't match up to the fulfillment that we can feel after an evening out with friends, a great conversation with someone, a weekend away with people who know us well, but don't share responsibilities with us. It's too much on my marriage. I mean, I wrote about that because I felt like in my own marriage, I put that on that stress on it in the beginning. But most people do not want to hear that friendship philosophy. <laughs> I was going to comment that leave it to the psychiatrist in the group to take us to the most controversial point right away. Out of the gates, Judy, with the controversial friend philosophy. But I think you're right. And you portray it beautifully that it doesn't mean you're not close to your spouse or your partner. It doesn't mean you don't love that person and they have a very important role in your life, of course, but they don't need to be that everything. And you do this beautiful job of portraying in the book how when you get out with friends, you actually come back energized and fulfilled in a different way and then can be even a better partner when you mm -hmm. build that circle around you. So I think it's good when people say things that make us think and, and stop. My parents had a sign that said happiness is being married to your best friend. And you were the first person to challenge that. And I love it. <laughs> I think it's important. Let's go back on some of those friendship philosophies, because I think these are really important. And we are definitely going to talk about those 10 friends or some of those 10 friends on the Life Council. But the friendship is a to do. In an interview I heard with you, Laura, you said that that has not always been something that your friends appreciate to know that you literally start the day with a work, home, and connection to-do list. And sometimes your friend is on your to-do list. Talk about that a bit. Well, that is the number one friendship philosophy that I write about in the book because that was where I was misstepping in friendship. So I start the book off with a friendship rift that came about in the pandemic when emotions were heightened. I said something sort of snide, sort of a slight on a group text and accidentally very much hurt a friend. I start the book off with that story because I want people to know that we all misstep in friendship. You know, we're all doing our best. No one's perfect, especially not me, even though I talk about this professionally, I still mess up in friendship. And the number one way I was messing up was I just would let weeks go by. I wouldn't check in with friends. I wouldn't return their texts. I felt like my actions were not matching up with how I felt about people in my heart because I'm busy, because I have kids, because I have a very inconsistent job schedule. I mean, I'm not busier than anyone else. It was just not crossed my mind that I needed to check in regularly until weeks, sometimes literally months went by. And I would have friends that would tell me that that was hurting their feelings. They were feeling disconnected from me and they felt like that they weren't important to me and they were. So for me, I had to like 
make a fix to that. It was the same misstep over and over for me that I was making. And so I started making my friends, friendships and connection part of my to-do list. Like I still keep an old school to-do list like on notebook paper with, like you said, a, a work sort of section, a personal family life kind of section, and then a connection section. I thought that this was brilliant. <laughs> like I was like, I'm really solving this problem. And it is. I mean, it's still one of my core friendship philosophies is how I've solved this problem for myself. However, I had some friends, one in particular, who felt like that she was a chore, that I was having to put her on my to-do list because I don't think of her naturally or because I wouldn't text her back out of like some unspoken motivation or something, which was not happening at all. She did not want to feel like a chore on my to-do list. And so even though I explained to her that for me, this was a way to fix connection, to her, it felt like she was a drudgery. She didn't feel like that she was coming to mind naturally. So we kind of had to agree to disagree. Like we kind of had to meet in the middle on it. And I was like, I will just try and make it not look like a chore. Meaning if I've set an alarm in my phone, which I also do, I will set an alarm in my phone, like check in on someone. If they have a big event, a work promotion, a surgery, some kind of thing, I put it in my phone and I set an alarm there. I will try not to make it look like that I'm just ticking things off on my to-do list and that they're part of that. I try to make it look like genuine connection. If she would just accept that that's how I was fixing this problem. That's kind of how we met in the middle. But I was surprised by her reaction actually to the friendship is a to-do. And, and maybe this is just personality types. I could see that though. And also what's the alternative is to say, oh, didn't you have surgery a week ago? How are you doing? And you miss this opportunity to show up or to support or, you know, even to be helpful, whatever that might look like given the circumstances. Judy, do you find this lack of communication to be a common source of rift among friends? As you were talking more, I was thinking about couples. And so much of what happens is he should know, you know, especially sexually or gift giving, he should know what I want or he should, you know, and the same is true for friends, for any relationship. When you assume that somebody thinks the same way you do, that's a, a real pitfall. And so I think that accepting that people have different styles is really important. And what you were saying to her is, this is me. This is how I operate. Oh, apparently you operate differently. We know that about each other. Now we're a little closer because we know that difference. It kind of relates to your first book, which was called Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First. Yes. Which exactly what I have said to people. And, and Denise, that was the group basically. And that's the great thing. I've always run groups. I've done individual therapy, a lot of it, but then I would put people in a group and they would say to me, what am I going to get out of being with a bunch of other crazy people? <laughs> and I would say to them, no, you don't get it. Group is a higher form of therapy than individual therapy, because you can get a clear picture of how you come across, you can change behaviors, you can improve your social skills, and the group really helps you. It can be an emotionally corrective family of origin experience. So learning how to say those things, and when somebody shares in a group or shares in a friendship, if it's a healthy friendship, 
it goes deeper and you get closer. Richard Bach wrote, he is, I think, a psychologist, psychiatrist. He wrote a book called The Intimate Enemy, How to Fight Fair in Love and Marriage. And what he talks about is that people fight for two reasons. They fight to win, in which case they both lose, or they fight to understand each other, in which case they both win. And probably in friendship, you see sometimes those same dynamics. Let's talk a little bit about that authentic connections study, Judy. So that was published in the Journal of Women's Health in April of 2017. And the study results showed that there were positive effects by bringing together women and fostering resilience among these women healthcare professionals who had children. I think you have a lot of overlapping friendship philosophies with Laura, but from that study, were there other philosophies you want to toss out there? Sure. One of the big things is that we women go through life a lot of times, especially professional women, having what people call the imposter syndrome. Many professions have been historically male-dominated, patriarchal in nature. So women, no matter how extraordinary they are, and Denise is a perfect example of an absolutely extraordinary woman, on some level, we feel that shame, like, quote, if they really knew, they wouldn't respect me, they wouldn't like me. So that was a big thing that group dissipates, because people admitted that or they admitted Mayo is tough. You have to publish, you have to teach, and you have to do the three shields. Extraordinary. I teach at Mayo Clinic Medical School, and I've stayed connected with Mayo Clinic, so <laughs> I know it well. There's so much pressure, and you're raising children. And for women, it's ridiculous because mm. statistics show if you don't publish, then you're five years behind in terms of getting professorships and promotion, women are just buried. And to talk to other women who are experiencing exactly the same things, who have a child who's challenging, who have a husband who's out of work, to realize you're not alone, which is what you talk about in everything that you say and write. It just makes the world safer. It improves your endorphins. And in, in this study, we had a control group that didn't meet for one hour a week in this manualized group that I ran. And what we found was that the people in the active groups, they enjoyed work more. They had less burnout. They felt better about being parents. Their marriages were better. They felt seen. So it's things that you probably can't get from your husband, even though he can be a friend in a different way. There's nothing like a close girlfriend, nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And creating these books in a scientific study is sort of what Laura has proposed that women do in their friendships. Laura, let's talk about some of the seats at the Life Council, because I think it's true that when Judy's talking about the imposter syndrome, for example, there might be types of friends that you have at the Life Council that don't need to see into your soul, as long as you also have those friends who see you authentically down to your soul. Which friend type do you want to start with? Well, one thing I want to say about the friend types, I have a couple of things I want to say about the general friend types is that 
of the 10 friends that I write about in the Life Council, these are friends that you're going to have over the course of your life. You are not going to have a stocked Life Council. Most of us are not going to have a fully seated Life Council all the time in every season. You know, you're not always going to have a mentor. You're not always going to have a new friend, sort of just depending on what your life looks like. Like you mentioned earlier, some friends might overlap. And that makes a lot of sense. And so the book is not about lacking these 10 friends or, or having to really seat them as much as it is thinking about the people in your life and where they would fit with these different strengths. And then also, of course, the other side of where you might fit on other people's life counsel, like what your strengths are in friendship. And so that's like the general overview of the different friends. And then also the 10 that I write about, I tried to make them as universal as possible. I tried to incorporate things that I've heard from other women speaking with them over the years. And then of course, my own friends that I write about. But also if there's a seat or two as you're reading it or hearing us talk about it, that doesn't totally resonate with you. Like that's just not going to ever fit your life for some reason. That's not your personality. That's okay. These are not like such a directive that you're going to have these exact seats, right? Like you're going to fit what makes sense for your life. I hope that reading about mine, get your own wheels turning for the different types of friends that you might have in your life that don't apply to me. So it's a brainstorming exercise in a certain way as you're reading along. But like I said, I tried to make universal types of friends that a lot of us could relate to. And, and we can start with the deeper friendships, like the soul sister that a lot of us crave, or we can start with some of the friendships I write about that are specifically not as deep because I wanted to kind of elevate some of those friendships in our life that we think, well, like I like her, but like we're just coworkers or we're just neighbors or we're just a fellow sports mom. Like she's not like a friend friend. I wanted us to look at those women in our life and be like, no, no, there is an intimacy to someone that you see every single day. Your coworker knows you in a way that some of your best friends might not because she understands your work day. She understands your role. She understands what you are like for eight hours plus of every single day. And your girlfriends, your other, like your longtime childhood friend, she doesn't know that about you. So I wanted to sort of elevate these people that we think, well, they're this, but they're not my friend. I want us to see like, oh, but like if you're feeling lonely, you do have people in your life that know you, that see you, and that you could forge a deeper connection with. Or on the shallower side of it, they might not know your deepest hearts and dreams. They might not know your trauma, but they're really fun. Or they understand something about your community because they're your neighbor. But again, a, a different person in your life might not understand. Like I really wanted to bring up all of the different types of people in our life. But where I think women get trapped is thinking that adult friendship looks a certain way. Like you have one bestie who is a soul sister and is also fun and will also bring you soup when you're sick and also can pick up your kids at carpool. Like we think that's what a best friend looks like. We have this idea of that because maybe when we were younger, the best friends that we made, they were all encompassing. We had 10 things in common with our best friends when we were younger. But in adulthood, that is not what most of our lives look like. Like we have a work best friend and we have a church best friend and we have a mom friend that we always sit with in the bleachers. And those are different people. That's not all just one person. And so 
that's why I wrote about the different types of friends. I don't know where you want to start because I can talk about all 10 of them at length. <laughs> well, I, I want to talk about the business bestie, I think. And again, these are your names for these. But but like you said, it's a work friend. I, I've heard that. It's not a real friend. And, and maybe it feels that way because you know that it is a friendship based on a shared experience. And when you lose that shared experience, it may not be a relationship that you then continue forward into right. whatever your next phase is. But that doesn't mean it's not a valuable relationship. So can you talk a, a little bit more about that particular friend? I think that a business bestie, like I said, understands a different side of your life and your personality maybe than other people do. And that is so valuable that you can just be your work self with that friend. So for me, I work online. My work is a little bit weird. My husband doesn't understand it. My mom friends don't understand podcasting and social media. They're like, how do you fill your day that way? Like they actually don't understand it. So when I had work friends, like who were doing similar things on the internet, and we could just talk about work, we could talk about like how to grow our podcast, you know, like strategy or the struggles or all of the different things that you talk about with whatever your work is. And that's all we talked about. My best work friend never asks about my kids. Now she knows I have kids. <laughs> to me, this is freedom in a friendship. Like I like a place where I don't have to like give an update on my parents' health and my home renovation. I don't want to talk about all those things. I really want to talk about this work thing because she's one of the few people in my life that understands it. And so I don't want to spend time when I could talk about those other parts of my life with other friends. That's the value of it. So she's not quote unquote, just a work friend. She's like a business bestie. I know that that term might feel juvenile to a bunch of doctors, a business bestie, but it really is was like the best way to sort of. And then to your other point of work friends might not go the distance. They might not be for, you know, decades. You're like med school friends or whoever that you're in a really intense season with. And then you go on into life and, and your life might take different directions. And you also might not have much in common outside of the workplace. Like you might have different belief systems. You might function really differently, have different personalities that really isn't conducive outside of the workplace. But that doesn't mean that those few years that you had together and that you had companionship together didn't mean anything. You helped each other through that really hard time. That is so valuable and shouldn't be like dismissed like, oh, yeah, like they were just a med school friend back in the day. Yeah. No, I want us to like think of it as like, oh, thank goodness we had each other back then. Wasn't that amazing? It's OK that we're not in touch anymore or that we don't seem to be aligned so much anymore. I'm just going to feel gratitude that we had each other then. And you brought up another really important point, which is that many people don't work in a traditional situation where they go to the office and they sit at a desk next to another person that your business bestie might be somebody who is in the same field as you or has the same professional training or has a, a similar interest. It doesn't have to be the person you eat lunch with in the break room. Right. Judy, what sort of insights do you have about friends from work, employment, professional activities? I think that it is incredibly valuable when somebody understands what you do. And there's a shorthand. I have a 
really one of my sheets. I was thinking about her a lot. She crosses many of the categories that you have. And she's a psychiatrist. She's a child psychiatrist. And we've been close friends for 30 years. And we'll cons we're, we talk about everything. But we'll consult with each other about patients. What would you do about it? If there's a kid, I'll ask her questions about how she would recommend I deal with these parents around their child. So I think it's incredibly important to have people at the workplace. And that's what our authentic connections group were based on. Those groups were based on, they were all women, physicians, nurse practitioners, and PAs. We had one psychologist in one of our groups who worked together and nobody could understand that specific place and the pressures of working except moms with children under the age of 18 at Mayo Clinic in that setting. So I think it's incredibly important. Yeah. I, and I think the other thing I liked about was that there's friends of different times. And this gets into your last chapter, your later chapters about letting go of friends mm -hmm. and ending friendships and how you do that. And, you know, I think that somebody once described to me that life is a bunch of intersecting lines and people come together, then they go out and they may come together again up here. They may just go their separate ways. And we tend to feel like we have to cling to people and yeah. that if the friendship moves apart, it, there's something wrong. And so I think that idea of seasons of friends and letting friends fade, and sometimes actually formally ending a friendship, like when I end a marriage, but doing it with grace and respect. I, I think you made some terrific and really important points when you wrote about that. Oh, thank you. I'm just going to say this again, because it really matters to me. I feel so validated that y'all, <laughs> that you liked this book, because I have imposter syndrome writing about something that I don't have like a deep background in academically or whatever. And so it it is wonderful to hear your thoughts on it. Thank you so much. You have a deep background, incidentally. You have friends. Yes, yes. Life doing this. And I think that your anecdotes and talking about yourself was spectacular. It was so permission giving in. It was exactly what we tried to do in these authentic connection groups. And I think succeeded. There was one other point I wanted to make. And you mentioned your tribe, Denise, at the beginning. And one of the assignments in this group was for people to find one person that they formalized the connection with, that they actually asked mm -hmm. to be their bestie, their soul sister, that they could call in the middle of the night. They had to say that to a person and say in turn that they would do that for that person. And that seemed to many of the women like that was just taking a huge risk to be that overt. And inevitably they came back and said the person was so flattered and they wanted to have me in that same position for them. And it was like when somebody's in a love relationship, the first person who says, I love you. Oh, I'm so relieved that you said that because I love you too. Or, so taking those risks pay off big time. 
But it's not until you stop and think about these friendships and the importance of these people in your life that you can have those conversations, however you phrase them. And, you know, it might just be that one of the friend types is the password protector, right? Like you have a friend that you say, I trust you so implicitly that should I need this logistical help, I know you would never use this against me. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's your soul sister, right? That's the person who will handle that information in a way that's trustworthy. I think there's so much in story, in books and in movies about these deep lifelong friendships. And I really appreciate, Laura, that you spent so much time talking about the friendships that we don't think about as much. That the one I wanted to talk about is the fellow obsessive. So I'm a hockey mom. I have hockey mom friends and those can be very seasonal. I'm also a reader. I call them my book nerd friends. They don't mind being called that. Right. And those are the people that you're right. I know whether they have kids or not. I know what they do for their work. And I might ask after their families, but then I'm like, what are you reading? And let's jump in because it's good to know that that's what you connect with with some people if you have a fellow obsessive in your life. Talk more about that, Chair. So the fellow obsessive seat on the Life Council has easily been the most popular one since I've started talking about this book. Like People really connect with that idea, which is funny because I almost didn't include that one in the book. I sort of snagged on the word obsessive, you know, just like Literally, I was worried that it had a kind of a negative connotation when this friend is really fun. It's really fun to have a friend who is obsessed with the same thing that you are obsessed with. And I also felt like it was really an apt thing in this internet moment where we might have friends that are obsessed with something similar to us and we are connecting online over that thing. So maybe it's a band, maybe it's a certain workout, maybe it's a TV show. And we, again, dismiss some of those friendships even as we're spending hours talking to these people about the thing we're obsessed with. We dismiss it similar to the work friend is like not a real friend. And I'm like, well, they might not be a real friend and you're not having deep heart to hearts. But when you are having a long, lengthy discussion about something you're obsessed with, that is sharing a piece of yourself. That is absolutely revealing parts of you to that person. And also, it's just fun. Not all of our deepest friendships have to be like, again, these like really lengthy heart to heart trauma-filled moments, they're also fun. But it, but a fellow obsessive isn't necessarily like girls trip fun. It's like, I just really want to talk about this thing I'm really interested in that you are also really interested in. It can be a stepping stone to a deeper friendship or a more encompassing friendship, but it could also not be. And that's okay too. And I really wanted to talk about really honestly, the internet piece of this. Of course, your fellow obsessive does not have to be on the internet. It can be, like you said, a hockey friend, a book club friend. But I guess I wanted to validate that a lot of us fall down the rabbit hole of something on the internet and we're really interested in it. And hopefully it's something healthy that you're, I mean, you know, something not dark, I guess, on the on one hand. But, or it could be Stephen King. It's all right. Or it could be Stephen King. <laughs> But a lot of us find ourselves like in, you know, groups, Facebook groups or whatever of something that we're obsessed with. And I wanted to sort of validate that does feed a little bit 
of our soul. I came out of my whole lonely period that I write about and I've written about for years. I went through a really lonely season in Los Angeles, a city of millions of people where there should have been friends on every corner. And I struggled to make friends when I had a baby, when I was in a new marriage, like that season of my life. And what pulled me out of it was fellow obsessives that I met online. They were fellow bloggers. They were also trying to get a writing career going online. So was I. And having that in common, the fact that we were all trying to be writers online, but also we were on all online, we were on our screens all day long. My other friends were not back then. I just felt like we cannot dismiss friends that start through a screen. That can be a wonderful way to connect. I mean, that is one of the upsides to the internet. We, we talk a lot about the downsides to online connections and there can be great upsides to them. And so I placed a lot of my thoughts of, about that in the fellow obsessive section because I feel like that might be where those friendships are born sometimes. I, I feel really passionately about it, obviously. But it's important to take geography because there are a lot of people who are isolated or their lifestyle keeps them from being able to just pop over to somebody's house. And here you have a platform where if you have access to Wi-Fi and a device, you, you can find people who are interested in things that you're interested in. I was thinking about when, if I'm considering my fellow obsessive readers, when I close a book that I loved, I want to talk to those friends. I don't necessarily want to tell my husband first or my best friend first, mm -hmm. unless I know it's a book she would also like. It's it's nice to know, oh, who can I share this with? And you know who that person is or that group yeah. of people are. Also, I want to say that I wanted to make it not lame if you're favorite connections live online right now in whatever this season is of your life. It, even the pandemic, we all had to connect online. We all had to figure out a way to do it. But even if whatever it is that is keeping you making your primary connections on a screen in this moment of your life, I wanted that to be not uncool. You know, like I wanted that to be okay in certain situations because I've heard women, women have said to me, like, I only have friends online and that makes them feel like a loser or something. And I wanted to be like, look, if that's what your life looks like right now, if you're feeling connected, if you're able to share some of yourself, if you're able to be a good listener to someone else through a screen, that is not nothing. That is still valuable. I really highly, of course, value in-person connection and, and all of that, but we can get out of our loneliness through our screens. I've done it myself and I wanted to sort of validate that for others. Judy, what do you think about these connections that are not in the same space person to person? Have you seen that be beneficial for people? Yeah, I've seen that and I've done it. My whole career was online from March of 2019 until probably until two weeks from now. I do what's called locum tenants. I work as a physician in Juneau, Alaska, which is a nice place to go in the summers from Phoenix, Arizona. And I'd been, I've been going there since 2010. So when COVID hit, I started doing telemedicine, which you've probably done, Denise, during yeah. COVID. And I met all my patients online. They've never met me in person. And it was a lifeline to a lot of them. I'm actually going up in June to meet them in person. I think they're going to have a party. I mean, everybody's so excited. But the other thing that happened was I had staffings with the entire staff 
on Tuesdays and Thursdays for an hour. And out of that staffing have grown deep friendships. There's, for example, another physician from Vermont who was doing a rotation for six months in Juneau. And she and I connected. She's a researcher at University of Vermont. She's very kind of a Renaissance woman. And we really connected. And she came to visit me. I'm going to go to Vermont. So I think it's a great way. And I think it was a lifeline, not just for adults, but for youth during COVID. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what would kids have done if they didn't have an ability to see other kids online? Yeah. So Laura, you start the book with your friendship philosophies. You have your seats at the Life Council. And the last section is about some ideas and strategies for making friends. We so often hear it's so hard to make friends as adults, but you really throw down and challenge people to reconsider whether that is true or whether it just takes some reframing. I I don't want to spoil the book for any listeners that haven't read it yet, but can you share some of those strategies? I want to start by saying that I love a new friend. Okay. I feel like Old friends get all the glory. That's what all the songs are written about. Movies are made about old friends. And I love old friends. I write extensively about my old friends in the book. But new friends I love because they are meeting you. They're getting to know you in the most current version of yourself. And most of us have fought really long and hard to become who we are right now. And so when you make a friend then, who doesn't know all your baggage, who doesn't know your past mistakes, who doesn't know how you used to be. They see you as exactly this person that you have become and they like you and they want to spend more time with you. That is the most amazing feeling. And so we don't write all the new songs. We don't write all the songs about new friends. And I feel like making new friends can be so liberating. It can be so empowering to feel like, okay, like I am likable or I this new version of me is attractive in some way that can feel really good and I don't want people to shy away from making new friends now a lot of times our plate is full but a lot of times we don't have a choice we've moved to a new place you know we're kind of forced to make new friends and I really wanted to reframe that as instead of that being like ugh, like more to do that it is like okay this is exciting I get to make friends and be this this best version of myself with them. So I, I really wanted to reframe making new friends that way. And then I talk in this third section of the book, and it doesn't spoil it at all. I have no problem talking about every part of the book, but thank you for saying that. I talk about, this is a big part, and there's a few sections, but one I, I want to focus on is holding it all a little more loosely. We are not friendship dating for friendship marriage. When you are making new friends, you are not looking for your soulmate bestie that will be there on your deathbed. You are just looking for a little connection. You're looking for a little fun, a great conversation, holding it all a little more loosely as opposed to what I have done in the past that I think is common, gripping it so tightly. Like we have this like desperation that comes off of us. Like, please be friends with me. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. please say yes to my coffee invitation or whatever. And we're just so like nervous and we hold it so tightly as if we're dating. 
no, just hold it loosely. If they aren't able to reciprocate your invitation or they don't text you back immediately, they're just busy. It's probably not personal. If we hold it all a lot more loosely when we're looking for new friends, I think we will end up being more satisfied with the connections that we are making. So I had to tell myself, if I go to a party or something like like that, and when I was writing this book, my daughter started a new school. And so I was like around a whole new community of people that if I go to this social gathering or whatever it is, I'm not looking to come home with three phone numbers of new besties. I mean, that's like way too high of a bar. That's <laughs> That's a lot. I'm just looking to have one great conversation. That's it. If I get in the car after this social event and I felt like I had one great conversation, I was able to share a bit of myself, she or he was able to share a bit of themselves. That's enough for one evening. I think we're trying too hard. We're trying to make it all work. And if you just give yourself the assignment of one good conversation, one few minutes of connection, if I did that, I had a successful evening. I think then it drops that sort of desperation that can come off of us. It drops our like gripping it so tightly that we have to find a new circle of friends or we have to fit in or we have to, have to, have to, to just realize like one great connection, one great conversation leads to two great conversations, leads to three, leads to you sort of filtering through and, and figuring out who you really are connecting with or, or want to exchange phone numbers with or whatever we make it too hard on ourselves. And so I, I write through a, a lot of different variations of that in the third section of the book that I hope people take to heart because I know people are lonely and I know people want to make new friends and they feel really like it's there's too many obstacles in the way. I wanted to like remove sort of these big obstacles that a lot of us share to just make it a little a little less of a stressful thing and more of a fun thing. I love that. It's so powerful. And I also, my favorite tip, and then Judy, I'm going to ask you your favorite tip for making new friends. My favorite tip goes with that about looking at the people who are already in your life, asking yourself, is that person who walks her dog the same time I walk my dog? Should I maybe walk with her and have a conversation <laughs> or right? That colleague that you really enjoy when you're in the meeting with them, should I try to connect with them? Really, even just starting with people that are in your life that you haven't to that point for whatever reason labeled as friend or um, decided to take it a step further to get to know that person more deeply, not necessarily to be their best ever friend, but just to know them more. I think that's a great piece of advice that we probably all can do. And we get so stuck in our busyness and in our lane that we forget to see like, who's in that lane next to me at the same time. There's a lot yes. of opportunity when we open our eyes. Yes. All right, Judy. Favorite making friends tip. Tell us. Well, I, you know, when you were talking about talking to one person, social phobia is one of the most common phobias that people have. Going to a party, what am I going to do? Who am I going to talk to? It's really common. And one of the best ways to deal with social phobia, it's exactly what you said. Don't worry about the party. Find one person that you're interested in or that you think looks friendly or smiled at you and go talk to that person. That's exactly what I say. And if you walk away having made one connection, 
it will help you to go to the next party because there's somebody there that you can make a connection with. I have had the experience of two different times. I was in groups for various things. One was a, at my place of worship. It was a middle-aged group of women, and we were going to see what was the next chapter like. And one of the women in the group who I really admired and thought, I'd love to be friends with her, but she's busy and she's this and she's that. She called me after the group and she said, I, would you have lunch with me? I, I just didn't get enough of you in that group. And I thought that was so cool. And yes, you know, and then another, this just happened yesterday. I have a friend who's very ill and her niece is in town to visit her. And I happen to love her niece. I've seen her several times and I picked her up and she had a deep, she called me Auntie Judy. Hi, Auntie Judy. It's so good to see you. And I've known her since she was little. Now I know her kids. So we, I was driving to the airport and she said, there's something I need to talk to you about. It was really a personal issue. That was a really tough thing she was dealing with. Suddenly she looked at me and she said, you're such a resource. Why don't I realize that? And I can call you. And I said, yes, I'm in your friend group. And I told her about your book. And I said, I'm one of your 10 people. We probably have a lot more that can be in your committee, in your council, so that you can call me. You don't have to wait when you come and visit your aunt. You can call me. So I think this idea of new friends is just spectacular. I have to tell you, you encouraged me to pick up the phone and call friends that I have had that I haven't been attentive enough to. And I also called two people who are recent friends who I want to get to know. They've expressed an interest in knowing me. And right after this podcast is over, I'm having lunch with one of them. Oh, I love that. You know, I also love the script that the woman said, I didn't get enough of you in the meeting. Can we have a one-on-one? -on -one? That is such an easy way to make the invitation. And like, if you're coming out of a colleague meeting, like you were saying, hey, I loved what you said in the meeting or any version of that, of just like, hey, I would love more of that. That's such a good script. That makes me want to go post about that on social media yeah. because- Sometimes we need like literally the exact words to say. Like, I don't know how to invite a friend to lunch. I feel like it's awkward. I don't even know what to say in the text. Or So I love those exact scripts of like, I didn't get enough of you at this event. Could I see you again? It does almost sound romantic, but you know what works? Dating. Dating works. And so we can <laughs> apply some of the same principles to making new friends. This has been such a fabulous conversation about friendship. I want to thank you both for joining me and for being willing to have the conversation and encourage our listeners to take a deep dive into The Life Council by Laura Tremaine. Thank you. This was amazing. Thank you for having me here. Thank you for having me. I love meeting you, Laura and Denise. It's a pleasure to see you again. Thank you for joining us to talk books and health today on Read, Talk, Grow. To continue the conversation and send comments, visit the show notes or email us at readtalkgrow@mayo.edu. Read, Talk, Grow is a production of Mayo Clinic Press. Our producer is Lisa Speckhard-Pask and our recording engineer is Rick Andreessen. 
The podcast is for informational purposes only and is not designed to replace a physician's medical assessment and judgment. Information presented is not intended as medical advice. Please contact a healthcare professional for medical assistance with specific questions pertaining to your own health if needed. Keep reading, everyone. Thank you.